So a couple of weeks ago, I asked you the question, do you want to change? Which I think is a significant question and, and something that maybe we need to give a little more attention to than, than what we would automatically assume because whether or not we actually want to matters in that it'll cost us. There, there will be effort. There will be sacrifices where we say no to what we want now in order to say yes to what we want most. Today, I want to try and get you to reflect on a different question. Um, I can't say it's a deeper question. It could be equal, uh, but I think it is incredibly significant if we're going to keep moving in the direction that God wants us to move. And that is simply this. And again, it's my prayer that this question will sit with you for, for a while. Who are you becoming? Who are you becoming? Or if you were to personalize it, who am I becoming? If you look at who you were a year ago, five years ago, depending on how old you are, maybe 10, 20 years ago, can you discern a trajectory in your life in terms of your character, your, your personality? I use that term maybe a little bit more cautiously, but, but, but the kind of person that you are, whether or not you're growing in love and joy and peace, whether or not you are growing in patience, in kindness, in gentleness? Are you, are you, are you able to uh, hold onto things a little bit more loosely for the right reasons than what you were before? So there's a little bit more generosity. There's a little bit more trust. Um, who are you becoming? Because the reality is we're all becoming. Whether we're doing it intentionally or unintentionally, whether it's conscious or subconscious, we are becoming. We are we are being formed into people. And I think it matters. We, anytime you go on a trip, you, you first settle on the destination, right? You decide, you start with the end in mind. Where am I wanting to land up? And then you tend to plot a course accordingly. If you're using Google Maps, you, you put in the destination and then you assess the path or paths, plural, to get there. And... You try and follow the path that's going to get you to where you want to be. Why can't we? Why shouldn't we be as intentional, if not more intentional, when it comes to who we are becoming? Yeah. I would argue that who we are becoming is far more important than just what we're getting done. There's a, a, an author <coughs> who's written some great books. Um, he's also a New York Times columnist, David Brooks, who wrote a book a few years back called uh, The Road to Character. Bear with me. Is it The Road to Character? The Path to Character? It'll be up on the screen in a moment. I'm jumping ahead, guys. I'm sorry. I do, I do apologize. They'll catch up right there. The Road to Character. And in this book, he basically tries to unpack, while studying the lives of different significant people, the difference between resume virtues and eulogy virtues. A eulogy, for, for maybe those of you that are a little bit younger and aren't familiar with this, is, is normally something that someone would give at a funeral or a memorial service where they are... They're basically remembering and, and hopefully celebrating the person's life. Eulogy virtues are the things that tend to matter most. Yeah. Resume virtues are the things that might help you get a job or a promotion. Um, and, and there's nothing wrong with resume virtues. But eulogy virtues are far more significant, way more important, especially to those who are closest to us, right? Eulogy virtues are about who we are becoming. In fact, I was listening to a story the other day. I don't think too many people would be familiar with his name, but, but, but a very, very uh, well-known evangelist 
in North America and, and especially amongst the Latino population by the name of uh, Louis Palau, I think that's how you pronounce his surname, very much considered to be kind of Billy Graham amongst, amongst um, the Latin nations, passed away some time ago. And um, this person was commenting on how they got to attend because of the, their relationships, the kind of the private memorial service, the, um, the one with just the family and the closest friends, compared to the public uh, memorial service. The public memorial service would have probably celebrated um, his kingdom impact, uh, managing to, to serve, I, I imagine, millions and, and impact millions. But he was highlighting the fact that at the closed memorial, nothing was said about his achievements. It was his kids and his grandkids talking about how present he was with them, how they would be on holiday together, and he'd get up at 6 a.m. every morning to, to, to spend the morning with a different grandchild, um, who he was as a father, as a grandfather, as a husband. Um, th there wasn't a single thing mentioned at this service to do with what he had achieved. It was all to do with who he was, his presence, his, his kindness, his love, his, his attentiveness. And, and these were from family members that were and were not believers, you know, convinced of some of the things that he taught and preached. They were all impacted by who he was. Sounds a little bit like Jesus. I do believe that God actually wants us to grow and wants us to mature and wants us to become a person of life and love. 2 Peter 1 verse 3 is just once, I mean, there are several examples throughout scripture, but this is just one that I think paints a little bit of a picture of the trajectory, the fact that God is wanting us to become. It starts off with some encouragement again about power. It says that by His divine power, God has given us everything we need for living a godly life. If nothing else, that should encourage you today. If you are in a relationship with God or you are open to being in a relationship with God, I want to tell you, that's, that's the invitation. He's wanting to give us power. He's wanting to empower us and, and give us everything that we need to live a godly life. He then goes on to say, we have received all of this by coming to know him. So as we grow in that relationship, the one who called us to himself by means of his marvelous glory and excellence. Verse four, and because of his glory and excellence, he has given us great and precious promises. This is important, notice this part, right? He's given us great and precious promises. These are the promises that enable us to share his divine nature and escape the world's corruption caused by human desires. Verse five, in view of all this, make every effort to respond to God's promises. In view of his promises, in view of his kindness, in view of the fact that he gives us power, let us respond to God's promises. And then, here's where you see this picture of development, growth, maturity. Supplement your faith. In other words, add to your faith a generous provision of moral excellence. Oh, and to moral excellence, knowledge. To knowledge, self-control. To self-control, patient endurance. And patient endurance, godliness. And godliness, brotherly affection. And brotherly affection with love for everyone. <laughs> I'm not gonna unpack the meaning of those different phrases. I just want you to see that God wants us to grow. He wants us to develop. He does want the 20-year-old version of us to be just a, a little bit more mature than the 15 or 16-year-old version of us. He does want the 30-year-old version, I think, to be more mature, able to serve more, replenish others, carry more stress in a healthy way than at 20 and 40 compared to 30 and 50 to 60. And yeah. You know what I mean? 
Now, God is outrageously kind and patient and gracious and merciful. So, so, so I think that any time we're willing to get back onto the path, you know when Google Maps keeps keep saying redirecting, 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 some of us, if we're honest with ourselves, we feel like there's been a quiet, gentle, subtle, almost like anthem in the back of our minds for years of redirecting, redirecting, redirecting. And maybe you've been able to medicate that, maybe you've been able to distract yourself from that, maybe you've been able to numb that. My prayer is that if that is the case, that you would actually see that as the kindest invitation you'll ever receive. If God is saying, I'm redirecting, you might say, Jason, I'm 45, I'm 55, I'm 80, I'm 60, whatever, there's no way that I can catch up, I would say, I don't know what you can and can't catch it, but I would say if God's redirecting, you can get back onto the path. And you may not be able to rewrite the earlier chapters, but you can change the ending of the story. If we will be redirected, if we will allow him to get us back onto the path, if we will just allow ourselves to be on the trajectory that actually leads to life. Let's start with the end in mind. Who are you becoming? Because it matters. And I think the older you get, the more you realize just how much this matters. I believe that our becoming will fall into one of two categories, that of conforming and that of transforming. If you're familiar with the Bible and the New Testament, you probably have heard this passage being read at some stage or another. In the New International Version, it puts it this way, Romans 12 verse 2, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. That word conform in the original Greek that we translate to conform means to be conformed to a pattern or a mold. So think about a mold. If you've ever, if you can remember back to when you were a kid and maybe you had some clay dough or play dough, whatever, and you had like a mold that you could, you know, push it into to make it look like a, an action hero or an apple or whatever, it's, you, you're being forced into a particular mold that is set. Nowadays, there would be certain, um, I guess, plastic uh, uh, pieces of equipment, etc., that would be forced into a mold. I imagine even certain uh, levels of metals that can be melted and put into a mold. The gravitational pull, it doesn't take effort, I want to be clear. This requires no effort. You don't have to put an ounce of effort in to be conformed into the pattern of the world, to be slowly but surely pushed into the mold of the world. The word transform comes from the Greek word metamorpho that we get the word metamorphosis from, and it says to be transformed, transfigured, or changed in form. Now, I really appreciate the definition of metamorphosis by dictionary.com, which I think could actually, in this case, be a Bible dictionary in terms of how accurately I think it's describing this term. It says a profound change in form from one stage to the next in, in the life history of an organism. It is a profound change in form. It's who you are being formed into. It's who you are becoming. A profound change in form from one stage to the next. I want to suggest that when God inspired Paul to write this, he knew what he was talking about. He was encouraging and reminding us that, that he's wanting to transform us, to metamorphu, to metamorphosis us. He, he was wanting to, he's wanting to change us from one stage to the next. He doesn't say it'll be easy, that'll always be exciting. I do think it'll be worth it though. 
I think what matters most, I think eulogy virtues are worth the effort far more than resume virtues, although there's nothing wrong with resume virtues. I, th I think God wants resume virtues too, by the way. He wants us to be excellent, wants us to be diligent, reliable, but, but those are not what matter most. In the New Living Translation, it puts that verse this way, don't copy the behavior and customs of the world. Again, that's the gravitational pull. You don't have to put effort in. But let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. So I like how the New Living Translation just, just adds a little more detail there in the translation, saying that God actually wants to transform us, metamorphose, metamorphosize us, if that's even a word, through changing our thinking, helping us to see correctly, to think correctly, to understand correctly. And then the late Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase puts it this way, don't become so well adjusted to our culture. Don't be so well adjusted that you're fitting without even thinking about it. And again, I wanna suggest that it's easy to fit into our culture without thinking about it. Yeah. That's the problem. It's easy. I think it's worth fighting for what matters most. Am I being conformed just into this, this mold that I don't even have a, a, a conscious thought about or am I being transformed into the image that God has for me? And here's the challenge. If we're not gonna give thought to it, if we're just gonna become well-adjusted, we will be caught up in the, the current and we will drift towards just whatever's normal. If we drift, we'll be in trouble. We have to decide. We actually have to be conscious. We actually have to, I believe, give some thought to God. Who are you wanting me to become? Help me to see, you, may, you don't have to worry about the destination 50 years from now or 40 years from now or 30 years from now, but maybe it's just God, is there a destination a year from now or two years from now or five years from now that, that you want me to be aware of? And then how, what is the path to get there? How do I adjust my habits, my patterns, my practices, my relationships, my, the, the way I live my life? How do I order my life around becoming who you've called me to become? Now, here is something that I want everyone to pay attention to. So allow for a bit of a dramatic pause. This is an equal opportunity arrangement. Who you are becoming is not dependent on your wealth, status, power, education level, level of opportunities, level of privilege. God doesn't compare you to somebody else. Everybody has the opportunity to become who God has destined them to become regardless of circumstances. Now, it won't look the same, but whether or not you, frankly, to be blunt, whether or not you live on the streets or you live in a mansion, whether or not you're able to travel the globe or you rely on public transport, whether or not your PhD stands for doctorate in philosophy or poor, hungry, and determined, whoever you are, Whoever you are, God has a plan for who he wants you to become and how to get there. Do you have to be living with a certain level of education or experience or influence to be able to be a person of love and joy and peace? Can you not be sharing a tiny home with 13 other people and become a person of love and joy and peace? We need to be very, very careful that we don't make excuses for not growing, for not maturing. I, I mentioned this at the very end of last week's service. 
quoting Erwin McManus in his book, Mind Shift, where he says, it may sound unfair, but it doesn't matter if it's not your fault. It's still your responsibility. I don't have time to unpack his background, what, what he, where he came from and what he had to push through as a child and as a teenager. He's a pastor, he's an author, he's a movie producer. The list of things he does is pretty extreme. But he goes on to say, your brain will tell you that some external factor is holding you back. It's, it's a tempting thought, especially when you're trying to make sense of failure. But when you abdicate responsibility, you relinquish your power. If your circumstances are completely someone else's or something else's fault, then it also means you are powerless to change them. Now, I want to be clear. In this series, we're talking about the power that God gives us to change, but we have a role to play in how we position ourselves to access that power and to be influenced by that power and to be led by God and to be sustained by God and to be encouraged by God when we fail and we have to try again. There is this beautiful partnership, and it can be messy with God, but there's a part that, that God does. There's this power, there's a vision, there's, there's, there's the ability. Again, we read the last two weeks, Philippians 2, verse 13, that he's working in us, giving us the desire and the power to do what pleases him. But there's also the part that we play in responding. What we, what we read earlier from 2 Peter, we respond. But if we are convinced that, and, and by the way, the circumstances are legitimate. I'm aware of enough stories in our church to know that there are several people that have experienced brutal backgrounds whether in their childhood or un, you know, injustices or abuse as adults, there are, there are some hectic stories. And I'm not, I, I don't for a moment want to minimize that, invalidate that, or to try and pretend like you can forget about that. I'm not saying that at all. I'm saying that I think that God can meet you where you are and help you take one next step. It may be that you have struggled with unforgiveness and bitterness for decades. And, and according to the custom of the world, completely justified. And for any human being, understandable. But God might say, you are, you are giving more years of your life to this than what I, I want you to actually release that and allow me to do a work in you that can lead you towards life. But if we live with, with kind of a stereotypical victim mentality, we believe we have absolutely no agency and there isn't a single thing I can do. And I, I think that's a lie. Yeah. I think that's deception. And I think God would want to challenge that and renew our minds so that we can be transformed. He goes on to say that the questions we should be asking ourselves are, where is it my responsibility? Where did I fail? And what could I have done differently? So, so if we're facing challenges, these are healthy questions that we can ask ourselves without shame, without condemnation. And then he goes on to say, you don't want to internalize failure, but you absolutely want to internalize responsibility. What I'm trying to say is that we actually have, we have agency. And it's such a tricky balance. There is such a, a challenging tension that we're trying to manage, which is why outside of growing in a personal relationship with God, I think it's impossible to truly flourish in the way that God wants us to. 
because, because we actually need his wisdom. We need his discernment. We need him to, to help us choose which battle are we going to pick today because you might have 47 to choose from. Yeah. And God's like, you can't deal with everything in one go. Let's, let's, just, let's just prioritize this right now. I want to give you power today to try and work on this right now, to find peace here, to find release here, to find forgiveness here, healing here, whatever the case is. I want to, I want to help you over the next year to become so aware, so conscious, and to renew your mind and to put things into place that's going to help you to be harder to offend. You're going to have a thicker skin. You're not going to be as easy to offend anymore. Now, you might say, Jason, I've got so many other things. Yeah, yeah. But if God's saying, trust me, just relax. We've got lots of time. Some of you are thinking, I don't know about time. I don't know. Depending on your age, maybe. But, but you've got enough time for God to do what he wants to do in this next season. But I think, I think our mindset matters. And I, think, and I think whether or not we allow the reality of what has happened to us. So that's true. But if we allow that to, to be spun by our spiritual enemy into convincing us that because this, e, in some cases, is pure evil. I just want to be clear. There is stuff that some of you have gotten. There's evil. Not, nothing about that is okay. But I think God is still inviting us to, okay, what's next? I care about that. I'm going with you. I'm sorry that that's what you mean, but I want to help you release some of that weight. I want you to become someone that is filled with life and love. John 15 verse 8 adds to this idea that, our, that who we are becoming matters, that character matters, that, that eulogy virtues matter. This is Jesus speaking. He says, when you produce much fruit, you are my true disciples. This brings great glory to my Father. When you produce fruit. In other words, when you are allowing. So, so if you don't know this particular story, verses 1 through 7 is Jesus saying, that, that he is the vine, his father is the gardener, and, and we need to live in the vine. We need to be connected to the vine. And as we allow that relationship to develop, wisdom flows into us appropriately at the right time. Love flows into us appropriately at the right time. Joy flows into us. Peace flows into us. I've often, I think, referred to the fact that, that for most of my life, I, I wanted perspective in order to have peace. And a few years back, several years ago, I discovered through a whole series of events that God was saying, actually, Jason, my presence brings peace. And so, and so that shifted what I, so in my case, I could almost make a little bit of an idol out of understanding. And if I could just figure it out and see the good that'll come out of it, then, then I can cope with whatever until I couldn't figure out the good that's supposed to come out of this. And and why God would allow this. And it changed to where, because of trying to abide, which I get right and I get wrong, just to be clear, but trying to abide, it goes from theory and academic to actually sensing God's presence and His presence bringing peace. Nothing has changed in the circumstances. There's no more understanding, there's no more insight, there's no revelation of the good that's gonna come out of us, but there's peace. It's not intellectual, 
it is abiding. Abide comes is, is a similar word to abode, which is, a, which is the same word as home. In other words, as we make our home in Him and allow Him to make His home in us, we can grow. We can bear fruit. We can grow in the eulogy virtues. Another example is found in 1 Corinthians 13. If you're familiar with Scripture, you'll probably remember these first three verses. Paul's writing and he says, if I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels, resume virtues, but didn't love others, eulogy virtues, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains, resume virtues, but didn't love others, eulogy virtues, I would be nothing. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, resume virtues, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. It matters. This is the invitation. This is good news. God wants us to become. He wants us to grow. We mentioned last week that our theme for the year that we want to kind of just bring into into some of our thinking and prayer and, and messaging is it's just actually trying to get on board with God's agenda over trusting Him for even more, based on Ephesians 3, verse 20, that He is able to do the impossible, that He's able to do immeasurably more than we might ask or think. So here's my question. Where might God, through whatever series of events, and maybe it's exactly the circumstances that you're living in, maybe it's exactly what you're going through, we want the circumstances to change, and sometimes God's saying, Actually, I'm wanting to use them to help you change, to help you grow. Where does he want us to become even more humble as opposed to the gravitational pull to being even more proud and stubborn and unteachable, to be even more generous, just holding on to stuff just with a, with a slightly looser grip instead of tightening that grip because no one remains the same. We are all becoming. We're either becoming more generous, we're becoming more... Stingy. We are becoming more present to the people in our lives, or we are allowing ourselves to live at a pace that is impossible to sustain, and we are skimming, and we are, we're not connecting, and we're living shallow, superficial lives, and we're failing to be present with the people that matter most, as opposed to being appropriately interruptible. Now, I am easily distracted. That's not the same thing. And so I'm trying to grow in discerning, God, how, how do I live at an appropriate pace that is diligent, faithful, good steward, but that, but that just allows for enough sensitivity, enough margin to actually be interruptible if you're saying, this might just be an opportunity to have a meaningful conversation with someone, or just to, just to pay attention to someone for five seconds and just greet them properly. Or to maybe stop and pray. Guys, these are not things reserved for saints. These are meant to be normal, everyday, ordinary followers of Jesus. Am I going to become even more in the way that I contribute or more in the way that I consume? In the way that I am loving or in the way that I am indifferent? A sign that love is not growing in me is not hatred, although that's not a healthy sign. But it's indifference to where we can just be numb to stuff. 
just numb to suffering, numb to pain. These are some areas that, if not you, I'm wanting God to grow me in. Am I becoming even more kind, even more joyful, even more patient? Am I becoming more manipulative and controlling and coercive and where there are always strings attached and there's always, you're always waiting for the other, you know, someone's always waiting for the other shoe to drop? Or, or am, I, am I allowing benevolent detachment to become a greater part of my life where, where, where I'm trying to be obedient with what God has told me to do but where I can surrender the outcome. Where, where my obedience to God is not dependent on the other person's response. Where I give up the illusion of control. Am I becoming even more easier and easier to offend or harder and harder to offend? Now, I think most of us, if we're just thinking clearly, would have a very easy place that we want to land on all of these issues. That's the easy part. The challenging part is, do I want to change? Am I willing to pay the price? Because it's hard when, when you are on the receiving end of offensiveness. We're not saying that, you won't, that nothing offensive will happen. I'm talking about, God, will you help me to not take offense? Help me to, to hold on to my rights just a little bit more loosely. This is a pathetic example, and I'm a little bit embarrassed about this, but I was at Home Affairs earlier this week. You already have an idea, right? This was not like a normal home affairs, you know, thing. I, I was taking in some weddings as a marriage officer, so I managed to bypass the, the line. And there's a wonderful lady, that official that I deal with there. And I told her, when she retires, I'm done. Like, I don't, I don't have to work with anyone else. But I've also been trying to get an unabridged printout of our marriage certificate for the last two years. And, uh, and she told me, and so, so she'll check on the status every time I go in there for me. And she was like, oh, just go back up to this lady who I've been to before and who I knew was not particularly warm and friendly and helpful the last time. Um, just go up and check with her. And I went up. I found her rude and offensive and dismissive and all the rest. It would be easy for me to justify my irritability, okay? But I'm thinking about this flipping message. <laughs> and I'm like... <sighs> Lord, why do I feel like I have such a right to a certain type of treatment and a certain type of... Now, now it would be easy for me to justify to you what I was thinking and what I was feeling. But if I'm asking God to help me become more patient, is it possible my patience is going to be tested? If I'm wanting to become more loving, is it possible that difficult to love people might, you know, be in your life? If, if I'm wanting to grow in benevolent detachment, is it possible that God's going to make me aware of my attachments, my rights, the things I want to hold on to? And so I can tell you that I, I fought the temptation to help her verbally with my opinion of how she was treating people. Um, and I can honestly tell you as a stranger, that, that particular encounter, I don't, it wasn't about her, it was about me. I'm the natural rude, unhelpful, horrible, all the rest. I'm a marriage officer, I, and I pay you, and I, all of that's understandable. But 
But what if in that moment God's just saying, Jason, there's some iron sharpening iron stuff here, you know? You want your eulogy virtues to grow? Well then, it's, you want to be more humble? Being, being more humble isn't looking nice and looking soft and gentle. And Being humble is holding on to your rights a little bit less. Being humble is being okay with not being able to convince people that you're right about something. Being humble is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. You know what I mean? So, so if you want to grow in humility, patience, kindness, gentleness, go to home affairs. Basically the moral of the story. I think that in a healthy way, part of where God wants to help us grow even more is in being able to grieve with those who grieve and rejoice with those who rejoice. That's also in the Bible, by the way. Also Romans 12. I was listening to just a, an amazing interview the other day, or a couple of months back, with John Tyson, who's an Australian pastor in New York, and um, he was talking about living with this tension of grieving with those who grieve and rejoicing with those who rejoice. And I just felt like he like explained it and communicated it in the best way that I've ever heard. So just allow me to try and read some of the notes that I took. He said that to follow Jesus well is to carry contradictory things in your heart at all times. He's an Aussie, so he would have said hard. And if either one of them wins, you corrupt your witness. It's weeping for the brokenness of the world and it's delighting in the glory of the world at the same time. It's to celebrate and to weep at the same time. He went on to explain how he can appreciate the art in New York City and wants to give glory to God and then sees someone shooting up heroin in broad daylight and weeps for this image bearer of God who should be bringing glory to God. A profound sense of anger at the brokenness and a profound sense of hope. He goes on to say that if all you are doing is enjoying the world and never weeping for the world, you are tone deaf to the human condition. Because I think there is plenty for us to grieve and lament. Plenty. Plenty. But if all you are doing is weeping, you are blind to where God is actually breaking in and the goodness that's inherent in everything. Quite a challenge, eh? Okay, it is for me. Maybe it's not for you. I'm like, yes, Lord, that, 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 that describes the tension that I feel. There is seldom a week that goes by where I'm, not, where I'm not exposed to something that brings grief and lament. But at the same time, there's seldom a week that goes by, the same week that goes by where there, where there aren't things to thank God for, to give God glory for, to, to celebrate life in somebody or in a family or beauty or someone growing. It just, And so I think, I think part of us maturing is us growing in our capacity to manage that tension, where we don't, where we don't feel like we're in denial when we're celebrating stuff, but we're also not just being morbid when we're grieving over things that matter, and, and where we can manage these tensions, where we can grieve with those who grieve and celebrate, rejoice, 
with those who rejoice. And then he goes on to make the statement. He was just dropping truth bombs all over the place, okay? He says, Jesus' peace allows me to rejoice and weep. Jesus was able to weep. And Jesus was able to rejoice. I think Jesus had way more fun than most Christians in the Western world would give him credit. And probably anywhere in the world would give him credit for. I think he had loads of fun. I think he had a good sense of humor. I think he would have been commenting on races, Sunday fit with her green skirt and her very cool Adidas. Uh, what's the brand? What's the name? Don't act, racer. What are they? Sambas. The Sambas with the green lines. Like, hmm. The, the, the subtle subliminal novo on her shirt that's just reminding you that we want you to serve in the next generation. I think he'd be okay with pointing out to single men that there might be some single ladies here on Tuesday night and, you know, why wouldn't you want to come and serve? I think I saw some single ladies clap, so I'm just saying. There's, there's, oh, single ladies. Anyway, um. What if we were to read the Gospels? Now, now, there are many different ways to read the Gospels. I'm just saying, what if one of them, what if one of the ways to read the, the accounts, the biographical accounts of Jesus' life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, what if, what, if, what if one of the times we were to read those accounts, what if we were just looking out for how he interacts with people? Yeah. We're, not, we're not worrying about, like, too much about theology, too much about teaching, too much about insight into the parables, too much about the miracles. All of that stuff's important. But, but what if we were just... what? What if we were just looking at who he was, how he treated people, when was he kind, when was he interruptible, when was he secure enough in his father that he could draw aside and spend time in solitude, even though people were demanding his time and attention, when people were wanting to keep him in a town for longer, and if we were concerned with the resume versions, we'd be like, this is going to increase my influence, I'm going to get a whole bunch more followers and fans, and, all that. and because he was differentiated and secure, he's like, no, no, we've got to move on to the next town. Where he was able to, where he was, where he was able to pause at a funeral and pray for a young man to come back to life, and where he was able to go past other funerals, where he was able to show dignity to the woman of the issue of blood that had been treated with no dignity for twelve years, where he was able to to be present, interruptible, and and life changing in his interaction with the Samaritan woman at the well. Where he was able to, again, he's differentiated enough, secure enough, his identity is in God, it's not in the approval of people, that, that he was okay challenging some of the religious leaders who were making it hard for people to come to God. So, if you can't think of anything specific that you would like to be a goal, a target, a eulogy virtue, that you're saying, I want to become more like that over the next two years or five years, whatever the case is, then what if we just start with Jesus? What if we just start with becoming more like Jesus? And we read the gospel accounts and try and see signs of who he was and God, pray into God, help me to be more interruptible in a good way. Help me to be more differentiated. Help me to be more present. Help me to be more patient. Help me to be more kind. Help me to speak the truth in love when I need to. Or if you don't want to read the Gospels, maybe I can convince you to read one and a half verses. Surely Galatians 5, verse 22 and half of verse 23. 
is a pretty impressive summary of who Jesus was and is. Where in the language of Paul, the author, he says that the fruit of the Spirit, so basically the, the, the result of a Christian allowing the Holy Spirit to influence them will become more loving, peaceful, patient, kind, joyful, good, faithful, gentle, self-controlled. Or if you don't want to read one and a half verses, maybe you'll want to read half a verse. Then just read the first half of Galatians 5 verse 22. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, and peace. I think if we are becoming more loving and joyful and peaceful, surely most of the next six fall into that. In fact, Jesus made it even simpler. He's like, if you can't remember anything else, just focus on love. Loving God and loving people. Who am I becoming? Who am I becoming? You are becoming someone, and make no mistake, the trajectory that you're on, it'll only continue to snowball, and it will become more and more rooted, more and more solidified. It matters. And if you have had any exposure to the love of God, I believe you'll care about this. If you don't care about who you're becoming, I, I, I say this lovingly, with compassion. I would suggest that you haven't experienced the love of God yet. You might have been in church all your life. You might have ticked a whole bunch of Christian religious boxes all your life. But, but if, you're, if you're not moved to wanting to be more gracious, more patient, more kind, more loving to people, I, this is not a knowledge issue. This is an experience issue. It's experiencing the love of God to the extent that we order our lives, position our lives to experience the often gentle, subtle, but reassuring and peace-giving presence of God, man, it changes us. You cannot stay the same. So, you can go on and stand up with me. I'm gonna pray for us in a moment, but before I do, I wanna read one more passage of Scripture to you. This is again being written by the Apostle Paul. And so this is just to give you a little bit of hope if you feel like, Jason, this is one more thing I'm getting wrong. No, no, I promise you that's not the heart. We use language here like progress, not perfection. So perfection, that's when we die. But we can make progress. And so, and so the person that wrote more of the New Testament than anyone else and who was very determined to grow and to please God, Paul the Apostle, writes the following in Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I've already reached perfection, but I press on. So, so he's saying, I haven't, I haven't got it all right yet, I haven't done it all, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past. I don't think he's meaning that like we cannot acknowledge the past, I just think he means I'm not gonna let that hold me back anymore. Forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead, I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. And so it is my prayer. It is my prayer that we would, that we would care about who we are becoming, that we would have eyes to see, minds to understand the trajectory that we are on, and that we would be sensitive to God's Spirit inviting us to redirect, redirect, 
redirect and that we would trust him for his grace and his power as we try make mistakes but we try again we keep pressing on we keep trying we we that we would be con convinced and convicted about wanting to become the person that God has created you to be not the person God's created the person next to you to be the person that God's created you to be you your circumstances your story your life 